0: Whether you're full-time, part-time, bivocational, or volunteer, if you have a heart for students, this is the place for you.
1: Welcome to another edition of Student Ministry Matters. I'm Dan Carson, and we are thrilled that you've chosen to join us again as we continue the conversation about student ministry. If you're enjoying the podcast, let me encourage you to share it with your student ministry friends. You can rate and review it, and that'll help us as we seek to grow and to reach out to others serving students. One other way that you could help us is by becoming a patron. Even as little as $5 a month can make a significant difference in our efforts to reach out to those seeking to impact the next generation for Jesus. Now, if you want more information about that, we will have a link in our show notes that can help you get connected. Today on the podcast, we have a special treat. Recently, Dr. John David Smith, director of the BMA of America Missions Program, spoke at the free online SOAR 2020 conference. We took a few minutes with Dr. Smith to get to know him and some of his views on students and missions. Dr. John David Smith is passionate about the missionary mandate. Influenced by church-planting parents, he trusted Christ at the age of seven, was infused with a love for church multiplication, He has spent the vast majority of his adult life in some aspect of missions and church planting. Dr. Smith has been in ministry since 1987. He and his wife, Kim, have been married for 29 years, and they have two sons, Josiah, age 23, married to Bailey, and Seth, age 21. The Smith family served as missionaries in the Cape Verde Islands from 1992 to 2004. The Smiths are members at Antioch Baptist Church in Conway. His education background includes a B.S. in Bible from Southeastern Baptist College in Laurel, Mississippi, a Master of Divinity from Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary in Lynchfield, Virginia, and a Doctor of Ministry in Missiology from Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. In 2007, Dr. Smith became an international assistant for the Baptist Missionary Association of America. That same year, he took on the responsibility of heading up the missions degree program at Central Baptist College of Conway, Arkansas. He is currently an associate professor of missions at CBC. And in 2010, he was elected to serve as the executive director of BMAA Missions and serves alongside more than 500 missionaries in over 80 countries. Let's listen together. Well, thanks for joining us today, Dr. Smith. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Honored, Dan. Well, recently you had the opportunity to speak again at the free online SOAR 2020 conference hosted by the Baptist Missionary Association of America. And I wanted to give our listeners an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, The Student Ministry Matters podcast is designed to provide full-time, part-time, bivocational volunteer student ministry workers um, encouragement and information that they can use to better serve the students that God has placed them with. Now getting to know the executive director of the missions department for the BMA falls right into that desire and vision. And I, I would love if you'd just take a moment to share your call to Christ and your call to ministry.
2: Absolutely. Hey, hey, Dan. I I grew up in a, an amazing home where my parents didn't just say things; they lived those things when it came to Christ, and so really. I mean every single day the gospel was both explained and exemplified to me even as a young boy and and of course uh, hearing the gospel and and what it meant that 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 I was lost and separated from God and that Christ had died on the cross to pay the price for my sin all of those things were things like I said those were daily daily truths both both in word and deed at my house and you know, I'm so thankful, and the older I get, the more thankful I am for parents who, who gave me eternal things that you know that money just could never purchase, and and just so thankful for that. But, but as a young man, about seven years old, I remember, of course, going through a process of asking my dad, who was a pastor, lots of questions about salvation, and and in that regard, and in one particular day, I do remember. Responding as it was in our church to you know what we call the invitation at the end of, of a sermon uh, where we're invited to respond to that sermon. Well, I went up and told my dad. I said, "Dad, I I need to be saved." And of course, he asked me why, and I said, "Because I was lost, and I knew what that meant—that I was separated from God and couldn't do anything about it, and all of that." And and that day, I did put my faith and trust. I actually believed and and said you know to Jesus Jesus I I accept all that you've done for me and I put my trust in you and you alone and so that is the way that I came to Christ as a, as a young boy in a home where where Christ was exalted and the gospel was shared often growing on up in that same home you know I had great examples just Really solid foundations and, and very thankful for that as well. And, you know, as I got into my teenage years and especially upper high school years, I, I'll tell you, man, I was consumed with sports, athletics. That's that's what I loved. Man, that, that, that was my interest. And, of course, never missed church and always had family devotionals and all of that. But my heart was not totally dedicated to the Lord. Now, morally and behaviorally. I wasn't out and about and doing all kinds of things. It just, you know, in my heart, I had other loyalties and uh, that, that were more important to me. You know, when I was 16 and playing sports and full speed ahead and all of that, still going through all the church motions, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, which is, you know, a malignancy of your lymphatic system. So I had cancer and and, of course, uh, as a 16-year-old, I mean, I don't have to explain to anybody, you know, how that affected me and, and changed my perspective and made me think a lot differently. And uh, when uh, through that process uh, of really trusting God and seeking peace, you know, and all of those things that God did bring to me through that battle with cancer— uh, it did change me radically. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it really did. There's no other way to say it. Even as a young man, I uh, my thoughts turned, and you know, I I didn't make any promises to God like God, you heal me, and I'll do these five things. For that no, none of that bargaining went on. It just it just changed me and and made me realize that some of the things that I was loyal to, they really were and still are temporary. And so it was probably a couple of years after that as when I felt the Lord calling me or leading me into the ministry. And for me, it, it wasn't a lightning bolt experience. It was, it was more that gradual, persistent God leading me, literally uh, leading me into the ministry to give my life to, to the point where I would say, God, I'll, I'll do whatever you want, wherever you want. So through that that gradual, continual process where, as I said, no lightning bolts, uh, but yet, you know, unmistakable that God was speaking to my heart in that regard. And, and, you know, like so many people similar to me, my reaction at first was, oh, dear Lord, please not that. Uh, you know, God, I, I got a lot of plans and these are not... This right here would not be in the top 150, right? Uh, oh man, I just—I grew up in the pastor's home, never had inconsistencies from from him, but I saw some of the things that he endured. To be quite frank with you, and yeah, yeah. and and I just didn't want to be be involved with that. But you know, I I'll, I'll wrap this up by just saying it was about a year long process for me to get to the point where. I said, God, okay. You know, we used to use the word all the time, surrender. I surrendered to ministry. Well, that was certainly apropos for me. It it really did feel like in a certain way, okay, all right, all right, okay. But but really, by the end of the process, I really had a desire to do it. And I I tell people all the time that as God leads you in those ways, I, I do believe that one of the things that happens is that he he can change that resistance into a desire, and uh, that's exactly what happened to me. And and uh, I did I did say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to do it. And you know that was a lot of years ago, and and very thankful for that calling.
1: About how old were you
2: uh, when I surrendered and gave my life to full time ministry? I was
1: eighteen. Eighteen. Yep. That's very similar to my my son's story. I mean, he grew up in a pastor's home. He saw the inconsistencies that you might find in in churches, but it wasn't just a lightning bolt moment. He he stepped through a process for himself and and came to that place that, that God is the one who's in control and he wanted to serve him. And it's and always exciting awesome. to hear those stories. Yes. Well, you know, your early days in ministry um were spent in the Cape Verde Islands of the coast of Africa. Uh, What motivated you to serve in that part of the world?
2: Cape Verde for us was home. It still is in many regards. And we absolutely love Cape Verde and the people there. Uh, But, you know, strictly from an aesthetic standpoint or the appearance and all that it offers, you know, there's no real reason to go there and live there other than the fact that God would lead you there. So, (laughs) So, so, you know, I say that somewhat jokingly, but very serious as well. And my wife, Kim, and I, we dated for about five years. And the very first time we ever had a long conversation, it was about serving on the mission field. So we both mm-hmm. felt that leading and we knew that was the direction we were headed. And and we did. Very young. Uh, in our early 20s, we headed out for the Cape Verde Islands, as you said, and and we really desired to go somewhere where there wasn't an overabundance of missionaries. Now, Cape Verde would not have been classified as, as a, an unreached people, but there there were very, very few, almost no gospel preaching missionaries at that time. And so that was something that really appealed to us. And of course, then there were connections through our association. And, and so we just... We visited there, but even before we visited, we felt that was the place that God had for us. And and we spent about 12 years of ministry there and never, you know, certainly we had difficult days. I'm not saying that we didn't, but as far as overall, knowing that was God's place for us, that never diminished. Just really loved it.
1: Well, what were some of those lessons that God taught you? You mentioned that you were on the young, the young side. Uh, When you were there, what were the lessons that God showed you during that time?
2: Oh, man. I say, oh, man, Dan, because, oh, I could literally talk days on this topic. (laughs) I'll try to limit it to some of the major lessons that he taught me. To say that I was green when I went to West Africa as a missionary would be the understatement of the day, of the century, perhaps. We just, you know, sometimes there is great advantages uh, to not knowing what you don't know right and, uh, I say that because I help train missionaries now and I tell them all the time I get to tell you what I wish somebody would have told me before I went but at the same time we have to readily acknowledge that a hey, the whole time we were where God wanted us to be and when we're weak, he is strong and and we're very thankful. That, that he, in spite of the fact that there was much we didn't know, that he taught us many things. And so some of those lessons that you're talking about, you know, that as I think back at my time in West Africa, here here's the vision that I have. I have me, John David, on the anvil, and God is pounding away on me uh, in terms of, you know, to use that analogy of the anvil and the hammer, the hammer yeah. and, you know, the... Uh, that kind of thing, but just literally, not in some bad, negative way, but in a very good way. It, it was maybe the maybe the more mild illustration here would be the potter to the clay, and and certainly those days of living in almost complete anonymity. I mean, we were literally and figuratively on desert islands, and so any false ideas in your heart about impure motives or recognition are not being purely driven by God and what he desires for your life those things tend to dissolve real fast all those all those phony all those superficial motives all those things that that really have no substance in a context like that they tend to go away so probably I will tell you this, God did amazing things through us there. We were allowed and used to win many to Christ, to disciple, to train pastors, to start churches. We continue to communicate with them often. But I will tell you any any day, all day, that for me personally, the greatest things that God did in our time in Cape Verde were the things He did in me, not through me what do they say? You know, it was in the Hidden Valley when when David was a shepherd boy. That's where God really made him into a king, right? Not not declaring that I'm a king, but I am declaring that God really did a special work in my heart and life when I was uh, on those desert islands. He really did. And so that would be the, the thing. And then somebody said a statement to me one time about, hey, you if you don't know what the prayer life of a missionary is like, you're about to find out. Well, I found out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just coming to grips with with a reality that, you know, that, hey, I am totally dependent on God in every sense of the word here for my emotional well-being, for any kind of fruit in ministry. and And we always are. But let's be honest, when we get in that comfortable environment where we know everybody and know everything, and we, we tend to be able to manipulate situations and, and control them to a certain point, not saying that we're in control ultimately, but, but you know, we, we just are in our comfort zone. There's nothing like being in that place where you know that if God doesn't get it done today, it's not going to get done and that's where we should live every day but i'll be honest in saying that hey a geographical change and a ministry change and and all that happened in the cape verde islands that was a very vital part of of my maturation and the deepening of my intimacy with god was was being in that place
1: dr smith what you, what were the years that you were there
2: well uh we actually we we left in '02, and you know we we spent a year in Lisbon, Portugal, studying Portuguese because Portuguese was the official language, still is. Although there is a heart language there that is Cape Verdean that we had to learn once we got there. So language school, and then so '02 to uh, I'm sorry, '92. Sorry, nice. 1992. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. See, I'm getting old now, my dates are all. All gibber jabbish but no, 1992 until 2004.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, the reason I ask is it, it's hard for, for some of us, even myself, um, and we're close to the same age, but it's hard for me to think about being on a an island separated half a world away without really the internet be playing into anything. You, <laughs> yeah. you couldn't email. You couldn't do a lot of those things, especially early on.
2: Oh, that's true. Uh, you know, in a twelve-year period, probably the first—I uh, would say the first six to eight years—we were there. Probably, probably about half the time we were there. You know, our most consistent way of communication was a phone call, and you had the old rotary phone, right? But, 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 but it was so—it was so disappointing to try to call because the lines were were so unreliable when you might hear like 10 different conversations going on at one time and you were trying to pick pick out the person you were talking to. Uh, I mean, it was just chaos. So, so uh, you know, it took a letter average 22 days one way. And that really was our most consistent form of communication was a letter 22 Mm. days. And then we did get internet and from one day to the next, our world changed, and so did theirs because of it, yeah.
1: Well, as, as we look at those things, I, I'm just, again, it's, it's hard to put in perspective how much the world has changed, how much technology has been able to help advance the gospel. It's exciting stuff to see. Well, you've been serving as the head of BMA Missions for some time now, and you've always made connecting with students a priority. And so I want to ask this, what motivates you to, to make students a priority and to make the SOAR conference specifically a consistent point of contact?
2: Well, I think that uh, my desire to connect with, with students, you know, from a missionary mission standpoint is just simply, as we've just talked about, how, how young I was. Uh, and how young Kim was when we went to the mission field. And I, I must confess, I talked to missionary, potential missionary candidates quite often. And sometimes I look across the room at them and I think, there is no way we're going to send you to the mission field. You're too young. And then I remember I was younger than they are, or I was younger when I went than they are now. So so I have to keep that in perspective. And, and uh, so certainly the belief that, that students should can and must serve Christ with all that they have now there there's no need to delay there is a need to prepare but not delay and uh, right, right. and so so certainly that and then when when you know in 04 when we came back to the united states and by the way we came back for me to study not to stay and and then in God's providence we did stay but that was not our intent when we came back in 04 i came back to study and 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 just by chance you know all those years i had heard about soar and i knew basically what it was but it had never been there because we had been in africa all of those years and, and i got invited to speak at a session at soar and it was in st louis that year and i went and i talked about interestingly since you kind of started this conversation with god's calling on my life and and I spoke on God's calling in your life, and I, and I said some things in that message that we brought up here in this conversation about mm. how it may be gradual and not necessarily grandiose, and that a call in the Word of God is always authenticated by fellow believers, those who know us best. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, if, if those people around us are saying, wow you are going to go to the mission field, and their reaction is, it's about time. We knew that was coming. That's a good response. If their response to you saying you're going to the mission field is, oh dear, I think you're making a grave mistake, and I think you need to grow up, and I think you need to show up here at our church every once in a while before you go to the mission field, that's probably not a good response. Uh, So I got to speak at SOAR and and just fell in love with, with the environment, with the students, with their inquisitive nature, with how God was so evidently working in their lives at that point in their life. It was very refreshing, and it was a great opportunity for me to speak to a lot of young people. And through the years has been been a great opportunity for me to speak to a lot of missionaries that live on the field full-time today that I, I could point to you and say, hey, that person, my first contact with them missionary-wise was at SOAR or as a result of SOAR. So, so it's always been exciting for me to participate in it because I want to see young people serve Christ, and I think it's a great, great, great entry point into Christian
1: service. It has been one of the most exciting parts of the SOAR conference is that idea that we are helping produce missionaries these students coming in, they're getting a good idea of what missions is about. That's always been really a part of the DNA of that conference, and I'm, I'm really glad for that. Right. Well, some of my first interactions with you were actually at the 2008 VSM boot camp. <laughs> I had brought several VSM participants down to, ja- uh, no, to Gary, Texas, and didn't want to drive all the way back to northwest Arkansas, and so they threw me into a group and said, hey, you could participate. I was in the Team Thailand group. I remember meeting three great college students at the time, Crystal, Gage, and Shawna, um, and one more, Sarah. It was just great to experience something that many of my students had already gone through. I had several students during that time that had gone on VSM trips, and they were gearing up for VSM trips, um, in my opinion. The, the VSM, or the Volunteer Student Missions Program, is one of the best things that we do for our students connected to BMA churches. It allows students from large and small churches to have a missions experience that exposes them to God's working around the world. Uh, Angela Rice just does an outstanding job leading the VSM program, among her other duties. Uh, what are some of the things that you value about that VSM program? hey I,
2: I agree wholeheartedly with all that you said about it, and uh, let me talk about the people you mentioned here. First of all, Angela and her leadership of VSM, you know, you know Dan, you you cannot manufacture passion from a human standpoint. You know, I can't as a leader and, and Angela is just passionate about missions and about VSM and young people having the opportunity to go to the mission field because she believes, as as you pointed out and alluded to, that so many times that interaction, that experience of the mission field, in one way or another, in probably multiple ways, it's going to transform somebody's life. It just is. That individual may not feel led to go serve full-time overseas, but, hey, if they become a lifelong active member of their local church that becomes a voice and an advocate and a supporter of missions and missionaries, then, Hey, success. So that's all great. And then the students, Crystal Gage and Shauna that you mentioned, that was a great trip by the way, that you didn't get to go with us on (laughs) to Thailand. It was a great trip. The next year, Sarah as well, the next year almost all of them went back to Thailand and I didn't even go on that team. And, uh, a couple of those students did serve long-term on the mission field, and, and I, I'm not in close contact with all of them, but every one of them that I know are still very, very active in their walk with the Lord and in their service to Him. So just a little bit about people. It's all about people, but no, VSM is that. It, it, it does connect students to the mission field, and it gives them a very clear path as to how can I get from here where I am, you know, maybe thinking about summer sports and report cards and maybe even a boyfriend or girlfriend or the things on my mind. And all of a sudden, you know, the mission of God invades my space here uh, through VSM and that opportunity. And like I said, hey, it, it is transformative. We, we've seen it too many times. And once again, you know, we can, we can point to numerous Full-time vocational missionaries that do it every day, all day, all over the world, and their their start as their experience in the mission of God was through VSM. And so, you know, just the experiential part, the hands-on, the training, the support, the contact with missionaries, the building of relationships, and and I think you know, like I said, just a very clear image here for them in their young minds of, oh, so it is possible for me to get from where I am to there in God's great mission program. And I just think VSM connects the dots for a lot of people and God uses it in in just uh, extraordinary ways.
1: I think about some of the students that I had go through my youth group that went. Mm. Um, I think about my own kids, my my daughter's been to Peru. My son has been to Romania twice, uh, but I think really specifically about a, a young lady. I say young; she's younger than than we are. Um, by the name of Laura O'Connor. Okay. Laura used to be Laura Simpson, and she led several groups to different places in country, out of country. She's a teacher now in the Rogers area, and it's just that she loves missions, and she helps support students who love missions, and. You know, she had some different thoughts about what she might be doing in the world of missions, and God did did something a little bit outside of that. But in her is someone who is always going to support student missions. And so that's, that's just real exciting to see, and I'm glad you brought that up. In your SOAR 2020 message, you talked about multiplication. We were talking, it was the theme of the conference was multiply, and um, it's one of the most important things that we do as believers. I especially appreciated the, the apple illustration that you offered at the beginning of your talk, the simple concept that that a few seeds in that apple, those four seeds, could potentially produce 200,000 more apples. Your four, first point really stood out, and it kind of goes back to some of the things that you were talking about, that multiplication is not about me, it's about the mission. Now, as student minister workers, how can we encourage our students to embrace that mindset?
2: Well, Dan, I think that... That one of the greatest ways is to exemplify that mindset before them. And you know, I think, you know, we say all the time around here, especially in the context of North American church planting, that student pastors make great church planters. By and large, they're very, 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 very fruitful in church planting. And I think it is because they are highly relational, they're hands-on, and that's that's those are some of the characteristics that are demanded. But I do think it is all about youth pastors and pastors in general, uh, exhibiting to people, you know, the idea that indeed I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to to convey in that message at SOAR this year, which, you know, it was about the young man giving his basket of food and it was simple. But the, the whole point of the message was, hey, this was not about the boy. It was not about 5 loaves and 2 fishes it was about the disciples who were standing there watching and so really for me what was really happening here is that Jesus was multiplying the disciples that were standing around watching him do what he did and and that is the ultimate multiplication and I think we have to get the bigger picture and that's why hey it's not about me it's about the mission and once Christ's disciples embrace that. And it's not about, you know, the content of the basket. It's about my commitment and giving all that I have for the mission of God. And, and then Jesus, of course, you know, promised to do great things through them. And so, hey, it, it, it really is about gaining that vision that, hey, I do disciple three men each week. The other day we were talking. I said, how many other people could we disciple in the next 20 years if all four of us commit to discipling one person a year and they, in turn, disciple one person a year? One a year for the next 20 years. If just our four in our group did that in 20 years, we will have discipled 2,097,000 people. I guess to sum it up here, I like to say quite often as well that multiplication is better than addition every day. And if we could ever buy into the concept of multiplication, that indeed my small, incremental, but yet consistent uh, contribution can be blessed mightily and eternally in just incredible ways. And so I, I would encourage all Student pastors to keep pouring in to the lives of your students like you do on that relational, intentional, individual, and yes, corporate as well, but especially individually as 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 you have opportunity, uh, because I I see so many Christian leaders today that would point back to a very conscientious, committed uh, student pastor, student worker who just simply poured into them, and, and there's no substitute for that.
1: No, there's not. Relationships, in my mind, are what it's all about, whether you're a pastor or a youth pastor, but um, especially for student ministry. There are young men and women who are just aching to be known by somebody. They don't have that in their home. Uh, maybe they do have it in their home, but it, it just is very powerful thing when somebody in the church reaches out in love to them. I mean, some of the best student ministry workers that I've seen in action are actually some of these ladies that are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s who are pouring into young ladies in our youth group. They just love that. I agree. Uh, and my, my own daughter is a, an example of that. She was loved in her home. She was cared for in her home. But guess what? These ladies went out of their way to pour into her. And so very powerful thing. Well, before we go, what would be some words of encouragement or exhortation to those who are working with students in our churches?
2: Don't give up. (laughs) Don't give up. Hey, I've heard so many and I could give you so many stories. I think of a young man right now studying to be a pastor. He was probably eight or nine years old when we got to Cape Verde. He was that little boy that was always rambunctious. He was that little boy that never paid attention. He was that little boy that you secretly hoped he didn't show up today so he wouldn't disrupt everything. He's that guy that's going to be a pastor now. Don't give up because, hey, it seems like they're not listening sometimes. It seems like they will never, ever comply. It, It seems like they'll never stop making knucklehead decisions. But But, hey, they will. They will. It's worth it. And I think all of us, just ha- we just have to remember, wow, what patience was demanded by the people who used to watch us do dumb stuff, right? And just remarkable, remarkable opportunity and, and just be faithful and God's going to be faithful. After time, you're going to be able to look and say, wow, wow, I'm so thankful that God in some way used me to have an effect and an impact in that person's life who's now maybe gone on to far exceed anything I ever accomplished in ministry or the kingdom, and that's the way I want it.
1: Well, Dr. Smith, thank you for being with us today. If someone wants to learn more about the BMA Missions Program or reach out to you with questions, what's the best way for them to do that?
2: I would encourage them to start on our website at uh, bmamissions.org. Uh, we also have Facebook page, the same BMAA missions. Uh, all, most all the social media outlets, just by by searching BMA missions, you can find. Uh, we have a lot of fresh content, a lot of new stories, a lot of missionary reports, all of those kind of things. And then, you know, if you're at the next level of really wanting to know, uh, certainly any of us would be willing to come and and visit your church. We'd be willing to host and have a face-to-face interview or conversation with you. And so there are, those are some of the, the initial ways that I would say would be the quickest. And, and, of course, by calling, you can find our phone number right on our website here at our office in Conway. Feel free to call anytime, and we'll be glad to have a conversation with you to talk about BMA missions or, or serving on the mission field.
1: Well, thanks, Dr. Smith, and thank you, listeners, for uh, joining us today as we continue the conversation about student ministry. Now, if you're enjoying listening to the program, we'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at our website, studentministrymatters.com. In addition, we encourage you to rate, review, and share the podcast. Now, multiplication of missions is not for the faint at heart, but we won't give up because student ministry matters.
0: Thanks for listening to the Student Ministry Matters Podcast. Get connected at studentministrymatters.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Student Ministry Matters. Until next time, keep up the great work with your students because the work matters.